I was a kid, I laid awake at night and heard the sounds of trains. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I'd do different if I could. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. Like you? Who in the hell says I gotta like let go of this? How can I let go of this? It's who I am. It's all I know. I wish they froze me in a block of ice till it was my time when I was ready to make my move. Before I started doing this acting stuff, I was afraid to get up in front of me. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. Right now, what kind of theater does this country need? How about a theater with black and brown actors who had been convicted of serious crimes and had spent years in prison? Actors who want a chance in a society that has no time for them. Actors who ache for change. You know, that kind of a theater. For the last decade, Richard Holder has taught acting at Otisville State Prison and has formed a company of formerly incarcerated men studying the art of acting at HB Studio. Prison Monologues is a podcast that reveals the actor and his story. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. We're, 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 we're marching forward regardless of what the hell's going on. <laughs> no matter what the hell's going on. That's there's a right. Lot of, there's a lot of hell going on these days. Yeah, I know, oh. I know, but, uh, but we're, we're, we're not going to be stopped. And this is Prison Monologues podcast. I'm Alan Winson, and I'm joined by my PM co-host, Richard Holler. Richard is a master acting teacher, and we're having conversations with his students who, who we first met when these men were in U.S. prisons. Today, we are pleased to have Luis Rodriguez with us. He's talking to us from uh, a hospital bed following a serious fall. We'll hear more about that as we move through this conversation. And Luis, I want to thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Uh, I thought uh, maybe, Richard, you could tell us a little bit about how you know Lewis. Well, I met Lewis at Otisville <clears throat> Correctional Facility. He was in my uh, acting class, and I had a scene where I needed... Uh, I needed some guy that could uh, could be in charge, and I don't know. There was just something about Lewis when I met him. I says, "Here, this is this is a boss man. He can he can do this," and uh, and did a great job in the scene because it's 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 a part I usually play, so I don't really hand it over to too many other people. But I handed it over to Lewis because with full faith in him. And then um, when when Lewis got out, we stayed in touch, and I was doing a, a reading. I was working at Brooklyn Academy of Music doing a project there, and I needed some strong actors. And so I called Ron, and I called Lewis, and I called Santo, and he did that. And then it was the amazing thing was that then um, when I started acting out, I thought of Lewis immediately as being a member of the company and then learned, unfortunately, that he had this accident, which he'll tell you about. And so he was unable to join the company in person. However, if there's a silver lining to the pandemic, the silver lining is that because of uh, because of our online presence, Lewis was able to join the class and just turned in a t- fantastic performance in our show, Talk to Me, that just uh, closed a couple days ago. And so he is now a full member in full standing, very active in the company, regardless of his uh, environment. Lewis, we begin these programs with our actors doing something for us, uh, a piece. And uh, Richard uh, said you picked something out, a longer piece that we're doing a, 
abbreviated. Yeah, like a, like a little portion from uh, Paradise Lost from the Leo. Okay. And we've got, because of the hospital here, we've got some, we've got some stuff going on in the hospital, but that's okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, you know, a theater is a very noisy place. As we say <laughs> in theater, make it work. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Lewis. Lewis, you're on. Okay. No. There's more to life than this. Everything he said is true, but there's more. That was the past, but this is the present. Truly, truly, the past was a dream, but this is real. To know from this that something must be done, that is real. We searched, we were confused, but we searched, and now the search has ended. For the truth has found us. For the first time in our lives, for the first time, our house has a real foundation. Those people outside are afraid. Those people at the block party, whispering point, they're afraid. Listen to me. Everywhere now, men are rising from their sleep. Men. Men are understanding the bitter black total of their lives. Their whispers grow to shouts. They become an ocean of understanding. No man fights alone. There you go. Excellent. And that was from Paradise Lost by Clifford Odets. Clifford Odets. What does this piece mean to you, Lewis? Why? Does it resonate with you? Does it say anything to you personally? In the beginning, I looked at it and it, it felt like it was misogynist because, uh, and if they talk about men, but they don't talk about women. And being in a, uh, a, people call it a politically correct. I would say it's the right thing to do for a lot of times uh, in the past, women were very much discriminated against. So I, I'm really more in touch with my uh, feelings and also in equal inequality. So when I asked Richie about it, he says, no, this is not uh, a piece that's actually misogynist. It's, uh, it was a piece that was done when they were being evicted. So after I kept reading it and reading it, many different emotions came out as I was studying this piece. And one of them, was basically uh, people that I've known, you know, that people that have actually stood their ground and, and explained things out that, you know, we might have had a different sense of what it's going to be. And they came out and they actually told the truth. They, they didn't hold anything back. They were straightforward. And sometimes, Alan, we get upset or we might not resonate with somebody like that. But deep down inside, we know something is wrong. There were a few occasions when I was on the inside that I just locked myself in a cell for like three days. I didn't come out for anything because something was irking me. And when I came to realize that this person was telling me the truth, I, I, I was able to reconcile uh, my being together and to realize that that person who told me the truth, who didn't cut corners, that was a real friend. Yeah. 
I think we're we're having a problem with uh, what is the truth these days uh, in the uh, politics and the society that we live in. And uh, I don't know that that piece was resonating with me because uh, it was dealing with um, you know people kind of we're hunkered down, but can we get the truth of what's of of, of what's going on? And we really need it today. We really need it today. So. Thank you for reading that piece, that Clifford Odets piece. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Appreciate it. I um, when you talk about truth, Alan. When I'm in seminary, we always talk about truth, and it's you're right. It's hard to find the truth. You know, there's no big T for truth, and truth is actually how different people perceive it differently, and we have to come to terms with those insights. That's why you just can't have just one or two people running around with their so-called truth. Right. You know. Right. The last two times that I saw you, you were performing in uh, Acting acting Out, uh, mm-hmm. the, the online Zoom show that you do with Richard and the HB studio. Uh, you were in a hospital bed. You're in a hospital bed now. Uh, yes. Can you tell us what happened? Sure. On April 14th, uh, 2019, Palm Sunday, I had just preached at uh, St. Augustine's Presbyterian Church in the Bronx. And I came home, had some bags in the back seat. I had to move them because I had clients that I was going to administrative uh, Medicaid hearing with. I was going to represent them. So I put those bags upstairs. Those are bags that had to be donated to the country of Belize for women and children in need. Uh, From there, I went to Brooklyn to be at my aunt because I wasn't going to be in the country for Easter. I was planning on being in Belize. So when I went to her apartment, in the lobby area, there's a rug that's between two doors. When I walked in, I tripped over the rug, hit my head against the wall, jerked it up, pulled my spinal cord. Uh, I had a spinal stenosis, so my spinal cord was actually trapped in one section of the vertebrae and it ripped it a little bit Oy. and I was automatically uh, paralyzed from the neck down. Only thing I could do was move my head from side to side. That sounds like it was enormously painful. It sure was. It sure was. And, and sure. how is your, uh, 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 are you recuperating? Yes. I've made, uh, in the last few months, I've made a lot of, sh- amount of progress right now. Uh, I'm almost able to pull myself to the side of the bed to sit down. I could sit down without holding on to anything. Okay. But just being able to pull myself down. But I don't do it without uh, somebody being there because I don't want nobody to get in trouble. In a way, this COVID-19, and you had COVID too, didn't you, Richard told Yes, you. I caught it. I was. Oh, I caught it trying to get out of here. Yeah. They had somebody in the room with me, uh, and then... He, didn't, he wasn't covering his mouth. Oy. He said he didn't have to cover his mouth. Old man, too. He said that to a nurse. And I, I went off. Yeah. And that day, they moved me out of the room to another room upstairs, a single room. And then a guy called me, who was my neighbor in the next room. He said, they just put an isolation tag on your room, in your old room. Yeah. So yeah. I told me this guy had COVID-19. Jeez. I had a slight fever. I was like asymptomatic. So I, I really didn't feel anything. And then they put me for IV for three days and they stopped it. And then like maybe five days later, they finally gave me a test and I was positive. 
Yeah. And I stayed positive for about 30 days more wow. before I was able to get a negative test. Yeah, so you've been in the hospital for a while, but you were in, uh, in prison, New York State prisons, for a, a long time, too. 26 years, to be exact. 26 years, yeah, yeah. It seems from your bio that you sent us that um, you spent that time in, in prison in very positive ways. You enrolled in the Master's in Professional Studies program while at Sing Sing. Mm-hmm. You were secretary of the Breakthrough in Arts at the Eastern New York Correctional Facility. Earned a certificate mm-hmm. in ministry at the Human Services Program, started an acting program at Eastern New York Correctional Facilities, and studied acting with Richard at Otisville Medium Security right. Prison. You spent your time, hard to say this, well, I guess as well as you could while you were there. One of the things the late Reverend Dr. Lonnie McLeod Jr. would say is that when I turned to the certificate program, in 1991, I was incarcerated from 87, but I was doing ministry and didn't know it. But in 1991, uh, I was in certificate program. And he said that once I started on this journey, I never looked back. And he was right because I didn't leave nothing back there. Everything was now was in the present. The past was approved. The present's received. And I know the future was open. So I actually developed the present of where I was at. Uh, and Jeremiah, it talks about seeking the shalom of the city for where you are exiled at, for your welfare is in it. Those skills that I learned and implemented inside the correctional facility actually helped me when I came home. For, for that, the moments when you were in prison and you were making it work for yourself, you were a student what was it like being a student in prison? When when I finally got to Easton, Easton was like a college campus when I first got there. Wow. It was late. It was it was designated an honor prison. And it was like a culture shock coming from a regimented prison it's to a prison that was like a college campus and had flowers and was so beautiful and I was like, Wow, it was it was a complete shock. Uh but that was the place uh, that one of my mentors at Amira Correction Facility said that if you get there, you'll be able to find programs that'll be able to help you. He said any program that gets started in system usually starts at Easton, and he was right. <clears throat> There's a wonderful documentary out called Prison Be- uh, College Behind Bars. That a lot of it takes place at Eastern because of the their powerful well, education program. A lot of l- let me uh, put some. Sh- shed some light. 1995 was called the last graduation because a lot of the public uh, colleges wasn't getting the uh, Pell grants from the federal government and weren't getting the TAP grants from the state governments. That was due to President Clinton and also Governor Pataki. So any uh, prison program, college program, had to be privately funded. Uh, The late Reverend Dr. George W. Weber whom we call, finally called Bill Weber, uh, he was in charge of leading the, the movement of trying to get college programs back. So we got together and what we first started doing, me and other men, and that's a group called the Exeter Study Group that actually, uh, we had the movers and shakers in that group a long time ago. 
And uh, I learned everything that I had to learn in there in order to start trying to bring educational things back into Otis, um, Easton. A lot of guys fell short with their credits. Uh, they had uh, uh, these tests that they were given. I forgot the name of the test. They had different subjects, sociology, psychology, college algebra. And if you were able to pass those tests, the schools were willing to give you credits for that so you could get your degrees. Uh, I had to go back to uh, the master's program in order to get the degree, in order for me to restart the certificate program that was there from 90 to 93. And I came back. There was an agreement between the superintendent, David L. Miller, who started off as an educator in corrections and he believed that education was something that will turn a person's life around. Uh, with Reverend Muller and Dr. Weber, that I would go to Sing Sing, get the master's degree, and come back to start the certificate program. One thing happened after another. You had the Y2K scare. Uh, prisoners were not allowed to teach other prisoners anymore unless there was a civilian in the room. Uh, at that time, Dr. Hans Hollerbach and Julia Medina from the Exodus Transitional Community uh, made a pitch on my behalf uh, to Bard College. And the pitch was basically if they would uh, spend time being inside the class, that they could get uh, college credits and they would have to write a paper in order to explain the experience of what happened inside the classes, how they, if they felt that the education was good, uh, did we let them slide by? I was real tough on the men, very, very tough. They would go to the superintendent Miller, Superintendent Miller, I'd see him in the hallways, because he was always, uh, you could always reach him in the hallways, he's always walking in the hallways, at least uh, two to three times a week. And he would tell me to lighten up, and I would tell him, superintendent, I says, you, you can't lighten up on these guys. Because you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. I would start off on good terms. Like the last half, they would be a little bit upset with me. But when they're walking down that aisle with their families on either side of them, and they're walking with the seminary dignitaries, uh, the adjunct professors like myself, and that, and they're sitting up there on that stage, and they're looking back, looking straight forward at their families, Inside of them saying, damn, I did it. I really did it. Yeah. They, they think about, they reflect on what they went through for that whole year. And it wasn't easy for them, but we were there to guide them through any assistance they needed. The, the professors were, you know, out of their own free time, would go to the yard, meet with them. But they made it. And it wasn't easy. And I pushed them to the limit. But they didn't even know that they had it within them. Yeah. And you hear the sniffles and, yeah. and, and, and where they were sitting at, and they were really appreciative. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys came back to me, especially after I initiated the Bard College program at Easton. They would tell me that 80% of the stuff that they had went through in Bard, they covered in a certificate program. And their writing actually got them into Bard. There was only 16 slots available, and my guys would capture like 16. I mean, excuse me, 12 of those 16 spots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's very competitive. Yeah. You know? Education was redemptive for you and the men that, that, that you helped. But while you were in prison for that couple decades and a half that you were there, it couldn't have been all wonderful. I mean, it, it, it no, must have it been wasn't, difficult. But I'm going I'm to tell you something that the late Reverend Lonnie McLeod Jr. told me. He said, you could do your bit like this. Yeah, we have. Oh, uh, you could do your bit like this. Okay, I have to. We're on radio, so I've got to explain what what uh, okay. what just did. So it was like waves, like big waves, or even like a placid sea. It's a little bit of waves, a little not bit much. Of waves, yeah. right. You know, and and he was right, and and you always try to stay out of the problems, you stay out of the uh, the arguments, uh, you do what you have to do. When I was in Sing Sing, so this is one officer who felt that prisoners shouldn't earn master's degrees, and he did everything he can to trap individual prisoners off. He said something to me as if he was going to do body harm to me, and I stood up to him, and he was shocked. Uh, the only thing he had was I had a belt buckle, and it took him about an hour and a half to figure out what he was going to lock me up for. But uh, they gave that I had contraband. A belt buckle was too wide. Uh, that was one that was made for me at Easton. But the thing, the thing is that I had to apologize to him, and he was wrong. He was dead wrong. But my I had a mentor whose name was uh, Doctor Hunt. Uh, he told me, "You don't see that right hook coming, brother. You don't see it coming." And what he was saying is that this guy was going to plant something in my cell to get me out of the get me out of the program. So I had to go to the officer and apologize. And I really didn't want to do it, but, but I had men that were waiting for me back at Easton for me to come back with this program. And I didn't want to let them down. So I went there. I took all the blame, praised him, and then I finished the program and left out of Sing Sing to go back to Easton. Although uh, Sing Sing wanted to keep me as an instructor for the program there. But I had to graciously decline because the men were waiting for me back at Easton and the Exodus study group. That's an amazing story because, you know, I run into that a lot with, I've got guys in my group that will mouth off to a CO or something. And then the CO is going to pull them out of the theater company. And then I talk to them and they, and they'll first they'll say, I ain't apologizing. I'm not, but he was wrong. Just like Lewis was saying, he was wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And I would have to say, what's more important this, this company, this class, the show that we're doing in two weeks, or whether he was wrong or not. Do you want to let down all the other guys in the group? You know, and like, it's just, you have to go to, you know, like, like Lewis did that for the other guys. Sometimes you got to do it for other people. And, it, and, and when you put it, when you put those two together, you make the right decision, even though it feels if you, if you kept it alone like that, it would be like, no, there's no way. But there's a greater good. You know, there was a greater good. And I've had that happen so many times where I've had to point that out, that that there's something else much bigger at, at stake here, yeah. not just who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. yeah. Bill Weber would say that the integrity of the compromise. Mm. That's you know, that was something that I learned. That's a big word that we use in the certificate program and also in the master's program. We have to maintain the integrity of the program at all costs. Right. 
because if we don't, then it becomes a laughing stock. I have a son-in-law uh, in prison, and he's been through the same programs I've been through. I'm just in awe. He uh, benefited from the college program. He doesn't even know I initiated the college program. Hmm. But I, Reverend Muller told me the other day that he was selected to lead Exodus. And I said, how did that happen? He said the guys voted in him, voted him in, and they called him the gatekeeper. Mm. When Reverend Muller told me that, I had a lot more respect for him. You know, I was like, wow. Because I was the gatekeeper when I was there at one point for about two years. Can you tell us a little about another character, a person in your life, Chaz Ransom, who I understood was key in your parole eventually? Who's Chaz Ransom? Chaz, uh, me and Chaz, I I believe I was more instrumental to him and his parole than the other way around. I used to work in a law library, but I met Chaz in uh, Sing Sing. Uh, he was in the rehabilitation through the arts under Catherine Barkers. Uh, Herbie mentioned Hans Hollerback. She's married to him. And she was doing that program. It was a professional program, much like Richie's. And when I saw that pro, I didn't even want to be there because it was so crowded. The chairs looked so small. So I wanted to go <laughs> back. But the officer that was there said, nah, you're going to stay and watch the show. And I and I'm so I'm so glad that I did, because it felt like moments later I wasn't even in the prison. I felt I felt as if I was on Broadway somewhere watching this <laughs> play. It was how so professional it was. Chaz actually played the Secret Service of the president, uh, and I remember <laughs> his character. But him and I became friends uh, really quick because he was very positive, especially with the certificate program that was now centralized at uh, Sing Sing. And uh, we met again at Otisville. And uh, his health was a little bit failing at that time. He was a person who was able to influence a lot of people and bring people together. Uh, He did it inside the penitentiary. He was doing it when he came home through my church. And uh, I never really... I looked at Chaz as being involved in the church. My pastor loved him. He was all over. It was a shame that he passed away only 89 days after being released. He went with me to a real estate seminar. My girlfriend at the time loved him. Uh, When he passed away that day, we were hurt. We found out after church service that he had, had passed away and that night, it seemed like we went to bed. We both were sad. We woke up, and the first thing we both said was Chaz. You know, he was a beautiful person. Uh, he was able to bring people together. Uh, he was bringing me in to get involved with it because he wanted me to be involved with it because of the integrity aspect of it and because I was involved in ministry. I'm an I'm a ordained elder in the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm also a candidate to be a teaching elder, which would be a reverend. But I'm elected right now as a ruling elder, which means I govern uh, the church matters 
on the on the local level. Right, the Church of Gethsemane. Yes, the Church of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. I'm also the uh, the the clerk as well, clerk of the session. Right. I keep the minutes and stuff like that. So. Right. You've done a lot, sir, in in your life. Um, I wanted to um, talk a little about how you got started into acting. I think it's connected somewhat with your attempt to get parole. Uh, we were talking about Chaz, who was involved yes. with the parole preparation project. Basically, with that, uh, when I was, you go back to Breakthrough in Arts, uh, I, I wasn't involved in acting. I just provided an avenue for the other people who wanted to act. But when I got to Otisville and uh, Chaz and I spoke about the acting and that they was trying to get it in, uh, he asked me if I could speak to Catherine Barkers to see if he get some volunteers into Otisville Correctional Facility. And then after about a month and a half, you had uh, Mr. James O'Barr and Mr. Richard Hole come in and they had their two different classes going on. Uh, eventually, uh, I was kind of, I was working with the library at the time, but I was saying to myself, listen, I done, tell, I done told the parole board everything I had to tell them. I told them the truth at the first three hearings and it, it appeared like they didn't believe me. And, um, I said to myself, maybe it might be my face, maybe my expressions don't match the words. So I said, well, let me take an acting class. Maybe <laughs> I could, you know, act my way out of this. <laughs> I, I found this that stuff. such an interesting idea because acting is seen as, to some people, it's like I'm acting, I'm not really myself. But here, acting, you're allowed to present yourself. We all have all different... Yeah, and, and it, and that's that's the really different thing, you know. Richie always stressed that he says, "Don't act, be yourself." And that was something that I've never heard before. It was like, it was like a Bruce Lee saying, "You're going to act without acting," you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So uh, I was like, "Wow!" It was like, just yeah. be yourself. And I enjoyed. Uh, I, I played a, a character, Don Dubro, uh, from American Buffalo. There was there was a guy who's a mobster basically <laughs> take charge guy small time but, small time yeah <laughs> but uh, it, it was a good play I I enjoyed the name of the play was Tough Love but with with Chaz um, I said yeah I'm definitely going to act and see what it's about went in I learned a lot they did a second production that I couldn't be involved with because stuff at the law library became hectic. Uh, yeah, no, well, the thing, I think a lot of times with some of the people at the prison are there, they think like, oh, this is the last thing these guys need is to know how to act, you know what I mean, blah, blah, blah. like they think that, you know, and like when, like what Lewis was saying before, when they finally get the idea that acting is about being who you really are, you know, that's what changes people, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's what, I've seen men in my class have a fundamental shift uh, once they embrace who they really are and not who they think people expect them to be, the labels that they've been living with their whole lives. So it, it really is, the, the real way of acting is, 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 is a freedom uh, that I think is beneficial both on stage and off. One uh, thing I'd like to add to that is that Richie has brought out uh, different things, I mean, like different emotions that I was never able to really uh, pinpoint but he's brought it out and he has helped me to get in contact with myself too. Right. You, know, you would think that I would already uh, 
have been there with their theology, but it's actually the acting of Richie's uh, mentorship. He has brought that out of me in our different uh, one-to-one sessions that we do. Great. Rich. Richie. Yes. Because I'm going to call you Richie from now on. I know. Louie always calls me Richie. I call him Louie. I don't know. We just, that's our thing. When, when, <laughs> Lewis, when, when Lewis was paroled, he contacted you. Uh, what is it like hearing from one of your students who gets out? What is your feeling at that point? Well, it's just, first of all, it's just kind of thrilling because when, when, a, when a, someone is transferred from the prison or they leave or they get out or whatever, you, you have this kind of feeling. You're so happy for them to get out of there. And you're so sad because you think you may never see them again because you, you form an instant tight bond in, in a class like that in the prison. I mean, like you get to know each other so fast. It's like it usually takes years for people to get to know. We get to know each other in months and these bonds become really strong. So when somebody, and a lot of times people say, yeah, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you. And, you know, we all know how life is. They get out, this happens, that happens. So when I do get a call like I got from Louis, you know, it was thrilling to, to, to hear from him. You know, you know what I mean? And, and just to, it's like my friend, you know, it's like we went from being student teacher to like friends, you know what I mean? Because like once he got out and, uh, you know, and then of course the instantly my brain starts thinking, okay, what do I got for him? What can I do? What, what, what do I got coming up that I could use Louis? You know what I mean? Because I, I right away just get to work in my head because, and for me, I mean, like when I bring in the guys that I work with and I put them in shows or cast them and things like that, people go, where did you get him? And I go, it's a long story. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what they mean, it's like, where did you get such a damn good actor that I haven't seen before? It's That's like, right. well, uh, you didn't see him because he was uh, someplace where you couldn't see him. You but see. you can see him now. <laughs> and, and, and Lewis, when, when you were paroled eventually, what was that feeling of getting out? Freedom. I was so happy. The next day, my my daughter was coming up from uh, Florida. I wanted that night that I got out. I wanted to eat steak, <laughs> real steak. Uh, but I I left it for the next day because my daughter was coming, and I wanted to eat steak with her and her grandfather on her mother's side. And uh, I just had Chinese food that night. But the freedom that could be good. Uh, was something that I knew that I would never lose again. I would never turn back to those old ways. Uh, failure was not an option for me. I had a lot of mentors, and I also had a lot of mentees as well. And I know that whatever I do out here will reflect them on the inside. So I was very, very careful of what I did. I made sure that all my T's were crossed, all my I's were dotted in my behavior. Uh, when I called Richie, Richie was happy. It was like, an angel in heaven rejoicing <laughs> just to hear Richie's voice. Wow. Uh, talking about uh, what he could use me for, my first gig, a first paid job was a, a, a short stint at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And <laughs> I had to read three different characters. And the students that put this together they put a wonderful, it was so complex. It was a script. Wonderful script. I'm saying to myself, wow, how did these kids ever think of this stuff, man? I know. They were really, it was, really it was beyond a, the years. It was, they wanted to write an anti-war play and that's what they did. And it was powerful. And there was a lot of things. And like, I never got hired back there again. I don't know. 
what happened? But because well, it was the voices were so strong and they were unapologetic, and and these kids were really coming out and saying we're opposed to this and that and the other thing. And you know, we had a, one fellow who attended was a Vietnam vet, and he stood up at the end and applauded like like a soul standing ovation because he completely said these kids understand why it's wrong. And Sometimes like, you can do something too strong, something mm -hmm. that's too right. Yeah, maybe. And, and, and it's just, it's too close to the nerve. And also, like Louis was saying, kids did this. You know what I mean? Like, it's like these were kids and they had it together enough to, to really, you know, I guess they didn't have any axe to grind. Do you know what I mean? They didn't have to worry about any kind of censorship because. That's nice. It, yeah. You yeah, know, it was, it was a wonderful piece. And, and, and Louis did a great job. Louis, if you could um, turn to Louis when he was 16, 17. And you could talk to that young man. What what would you say to him? Brother, you're going down the wrong path. What you're doing, you shouldn't be doing. Those people are lying to you. Mm. you then that they don't have your best interest. Take my hand, brother. I'll show you the right way mm. to go. You're definitely going down the wrong path. Mm. Boy, that's we... what I would tell him. Yeah. Because 16, 17 mm. definitely was the wrong path. Could you read something else for us? Sure. Yeah, and I want to I want to just introduce this because yeah. uh, this we talked before about Chaz Ransom. And uh, Chaz wrote the piece and, and Lewis is just going to do a little bit about this. This is from our next show called Inside Out. And this is a section called the Mom Montage. And it's three different letters, uh, three different men writing to their mothers. And two of them are, you know, kind of like letter, regular letters. And Chaz wrote this piece that's, it's imbued with some kind of poetry. He, 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 was, a, he was a real poet. And, and, you know, when I was there, I used to refer to him as the ambassador. I mean, like he was just so welcoming to me when we would do shows, like anybody that came in from the outside, he would escort them in. I mean, you know, and, 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 and as Lewis said, it was tragic that only like three months after he got out, he died in his sleep. But I mean, the, I was impressed when the superintendent of the prison attended his funeral. I mean, like this is unheard of that, that somebody at that level would come to the, to the funeral of an inmate. And that tells you, or a former inmate, that tells you what kind of man he was and the respect that everyone had for him. So, you know, it's a terrible loss because he was such, like I said, the ambassador and he had gotten out and he came to my show. He was, he was doing a thousand different things. Maybe he was doing too much. That's what something, everybody thinks they know something. I don't know. Maybe it was just his time. Maybe he just needed to be out before he could go on. You know, I don't know. But, but um, anyway, I just wanted to say a little bit about Chaz so that you have that in mind as he reads this, when you hear the words that Chaz wrote. So this is a letter to Chaz wrote to his mother while he was in prison. Oh, beautiful mother of mine. Why do I spend so much time abusing and disrespecting you like so many others do? Why has it taken so long for me to see the beauty and power universally within you? I ask for your forgiveness for all my transgressions. I come to you humbly to receive and seek your wisdom and blessings. Please, oh dear mother, continue to guide my way. Wipe away my tears, 
bandage my knees and soothe my spirit as you always do after a bad daydream. Okay, that's good. Wow. Terrific. Just terrific. Um, such love and such loss at the same time. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Th thank you for reading that. Elder Luis Rodriguez, thank you for, ah. thank you for joining us um, thank you. on Prison Monologues. And Richard, I want to thank you again for agreeing to join me Absolutely. on these conversations pleasure. with your acting students. I feel blessed to be able to meet these men and see the work that you're doing with them. It's men who've been through some really difficult, difficult times, but they've all, the, the ones I've met seem to have made it work. They've, they've, they've turned into something that's very positive and certainly in your case, Lewis, godly um, in, in the work that you do with others, amen, and are using acting as a method to finding truth about mm. themselves in our time. I gotta thank you Richard, and thank you, Lewis, for, for joining us. If you have any questions, all you listeners out there, Prison Monologues, please contact Richard or myself at prisonmonologues at gmail.com. So that's one word, prisonmonologues, M-O-N-O-L-O-G-S at gmail.com. And Lewis, thank you one more time for, uh, for You're joining welcome, us. You're welcome, It was great meeting you. I, I, I want to meet you under, <laughs> under other circumstances. I'll be up and walking in a few months. Great. <laughs> All right. All right.